Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. This holiday calls attention to the fact that there's been an invasion by the Son of God into our time and space, into our neighborhood. Behold, that sounds like it's an old word, but behold is just another way of saying, look who's here. And so our whole series this Christmas is called Behold because we want you to see who's here. We hope you have. We talked about the behold, there's, there's hope in the darkness. Behold, there's love in the hate. We're going to talk Christmas Eve about, behold, there's peace in the chaos. And today I want to talk about, look who's here. There's joy in the sadness. Luke chapter 2, wonderful account of the Christmas story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria and all went out to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. What's happening here is it's a census. And for us, we took a census recently, and it was a lot easier than this. Get online, a couple clicks, and you're done. But they had to go into their hometown where their family tree could be traced, and records were held, and that's where they needed to register and the census be taken by the Roman government. And so... Mary and Joseph, as inconvenient as it was, traveled 90 miles south because they had to get into Bethlehem to register for the census. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she came birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For under you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, something I've always wondered about and wrestled with is, can joy and sadness coexist? We're saying that Jesus brings joy into the sadness. Can joy and sadness Coexists. For so many years of my life, I figured, well, well, not really. It's got to be an either-or thing. Are you happy or are you sad? Is it sunshine or is it cloudy? How does it coexist? You, it, it, it's, it's separated, right? Um, this place where I, I sit, it's called Mount Vernon. It's just north of Ashland. And they're taking this big, beautiful estate, remodeling it, and they're turning it into an event center. 
They want it to be a place where you can come and no matter what's happening in the weather or the world is a place where you can find joy and celebration. Can joy and sadness coexist? You know, I wrestle with that and it was very interesting to me when I came across a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And Paul in this letter says, listen, you need to embrace the realities of our life. And some of those realities are this, that there are certain paradoxes that coexist. Listen to what he says as he describes his life as a servant of God and these crazy things that coexisted in his life. He says, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. So Paul was saying at the same time, some people honor me, some people dishonor me. Some people slander me, some people think I'm wonderful. He says, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Amazing paradoxes that coexist in the one that, that sticks out to me and I've been chewing on for years and pressing into is when Paul says in verse 10, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. This was Paul's reality. Paul experienced in his life, when you read the epistles, a tremendous amount of pain and sorrow. Paul faced persecution in so many of the places that he went. Paul carried this, the burden of of, of the churches that he planted. The churches would get in all kinds of messes and and believe false teaching, and get into fights, and, and there were believers in the churches that, that lived disobedient, you know, um, earthbound kind of lives, and he's going, there's so much you could know and enjoy, and he, and he lived with this, this sorrow, and he even says that he had, he says in Romans 9, I live with great sorrow over the fact that his countrymen, his fellow Israelites did not know Jesus Christ as Savior. So Paul lived with this constant weight of sorrow, and he says, sorrowful, that's my reality, yet always rejoicing. So sorrow and sadness coexist from Paul. It's like, wow, how do you, how do you, how do you know that? How do you get a hold of that? Paul writes to uh, the Philippians, and uh, he writes to that church, and Paul writes to them, and he's in prison. He is in prison. There's the very real and imminent threat that any moment Romans could walk into his prison off with his head. This is his reality. He says to the Philippians, you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But it's like this is where he's living at the moment. He, he, he says that while he's in prison, that there's other pastors out there and they're competing with him. They're jealous of Paul's ministry success, and they, they're, they're competing, and they're, 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 they're going to say, you know what, Paul's in prison, man. He's locked up. Now's my chance to grow my church. And Paul says, I get it. 
They're out there and they're doing these things. And he's lived with this, the church in Philippi that he loved. They were grumbling, some people were fighting with one another. And in that whole context and in that setting, Paul famously says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. That's amazing. Tim Keller talks about the kind of joy that the Bible talks about in Jesus brings. He says, the joy of the New Testament, the joy that the New Testament speaks of, of course, it's happiness, yes, but it is not the kind that is fizziness or giddiness that goes away in face of negative circumstances. It is more like the ballast that keeps a ship stable and upright in the water. See, joy is like this buoyancy and anchor in our soul. Joy is like sand in our soul, somebody might say. And Keller goes on to, with this. He said, in the last volume of The Lord of the Rings, there's a moment in which the future looks hopelessly bleak. The wizard Gandalf seems to be crushed under the weight of the world. And then suddenly he laughs. And it is revealed that despite all of the care and the sorrow that he is experiencing, underneath it all, there is a quote, and this is what, what Tolkien says, there is a great joy, a fountain of mirth, enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. Listen, what the angels announced on that very first Christmas Night was that kind of joy. Behold, I bring you great joy, great news of amazing joy that will be for all the people. Do you want to know that? Behold, there is joy in the sadness. <laughs>
We have received reconciliation. Yes, I'm forgiven. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a series of parables. He talks about the lost sheep. He talks about a lost coin. He talks about a lost son. We know it as a, the prodigal son. And what happens when they're found, when they return, when there's forgiveness and restoration, the joy breaks out. Every time when he tells the parable, when something's found or the son is returned, it says this, I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. <laughs> this is the source of the joy, right? Good news, good news of great joy, a Savior. So William Hendrickson, a New Testament scholar, he says this, the joy of which the New Testament speaks. He says, what greater joy could there be than the realization and wholehearted acceptance of the fact that God Himself, through the sacrifice of His one and only Son, had brought about the solution of the world's greatest problem, our sin. The solution to our greatest problem is finally solved. Yes, that's where the joy comes from, accepting the Savior. Marvin Olasky, he says, we rejoice when we recognize that we need something like a miracle, and it comes. Those rich in money or power or academic degrees often are reluctant to come to Christ because it's hard to see yourself as needing a come-from-behind victory when the scoreboard says that you're ahead. Joy comes when I know I desperately need a rescue, a Savior, and I accept Him. You know, one of the major retailers uh, has a commercial on TV right now. Maybe you've seen it. It's a family decorating the Christmas tree, the two girls are in the room and the little sister is hanging up some bulbs and the older sister is grumping at her and grouching at her and picking at her. You're not doing this right. This Christmas is not going to be any good. And she goes into her bedroom. Well, the little sister follows her to her bedroom and from the door of the room, the little sister starts to sing. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town and he's making a list and the older sister gets happy, <laughs> right? She gets happy. Well, look, gifts from Santa are nice, but what I really need is a savior. What I really need is to, as a rescue, what I need is a forgiveness of my sins and everything that's on my naughty list. Now, if you could deal with that, that's where we would find real joy. And see, when you accept the Savior, the reality is that He becomes the joy of your life. You know, I hear people refer to someone uh, in their lives as the joy of their life, their pride and, and joy. Well, this is what Jesus can be. He is the joy of our lives, the joy of our heart. And this comes out throughout Scripture. I think of Psalm chapter 16 where it says, God, you make known to me the path of life. 
and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you think of Nehemiah, and in, in, in Nehemiah he says that uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So he knew God. He was the joy of his life. The joy of the Lord was his strength. In Psalm chapter 73, it says, the psalmist says, he looked around, there's a lot of things in life that upset him. Well, how come this is going on? And why is that wicked person getting along so well? And then he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Isn't that beautiful? So you can know great joy. Behold, we bring you good news of great joy in your sadness when you know you're forgiven. There's such joy that comes from, I am His and He is mine. You heard what Jerry and Jane Strasbaugh said in their story that to be loved by God, such joy there, forgiven and loved by God, I am His and He is mine. Listen, when Christ is your Savior, when He is your portion, when He is your joy, it is stunning. So this is my little granddaughter, Fallon. She is adorable, and she is certainly a joy to me in my life. Well, the other night, she was over at our house, and she came running up to me, and she was holding one of the bulbs that was on our Christmas tree. This is her with her bulb at home. But she was holding up the bulb, and what it was was an Ohio State bulb on our tree. Now, we have a Michigan bulb and an Ohio State bulb, and Fallon knows I'm a Michigan fan, and so she brings in the Ohio State bulb and was taunting with it. Papa, 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 this is your bulb. And while she was doing that, she dropped it. And the Ohio State bulb shattered all over our kitchen floor. And someone said, that's the one that John Cooper signed. <laughs> and so Fallon broke down. She ran into her mother's arms and just was sobbing in her mother's arms. And I, my heart broke for her. I went over to my precious granddaughter and I said, Fallon, look, look, please know it's okay. Papa forgives you. I wanted her so desperately to know forgiveness but you know what she couldn't hear it she sat there and sobbed she didn't even want to look at me she just buried her head in her mother's arms she was overcome with the sadness and the shame and unforgiveness listen this christmas christ has come behold you can know joy in the forgiveness of sins, the Savior came so we would know forgiveness. That's how you find joy in the sadness, accepting the Savior. Another way, the second thing I want to press into is the way to find joy in the sadness is to accept your lot. Here's what I mean. How do you find joy in your sad circumstances. And the 
things that Paul said he was sorrowful over, the circumstances, the surroundings. Maybe your job is sad for you. Um, maybe your family, the holiday plans, your career. Maybe there's times you feel like, man, the cards that I have been dealt, you know, and there's, there's sadness in that. How do you find joy in a fallen world? Well, <laughs> Ecclesiastes is not the typical text or place that you go at Christmas time. I get it. But there's a passage in Ecclesiastes that just shouts about how we can know joy in sadness. And I want to read it to you. If you've got a Bible, please, you read through it or it'll be on the screen. And I want you to listen because I think it's Solomon writing Ecclesiastes and he saw a lot of life. He saw a lot of good things. He experienced a lot of good things. He owned a lot of good things. And he made some interesting observations about where we find joy. Listen to what he says. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. In other words, he said there's no joy in Scrooge's life. And those riches were lost and then in a bad venture. And he, he is father to a son, but has nothing in his hand to give him when he dies. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. He worked so hard and did everything and he dies. He couldn't take anything with him. This also is a grievous evil, for just as he came, he shall go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all of his days, he eats in darkness and in much vexation and in sickness and in anger. He said he observes a guy's life and it's nothing but a cloud of sorrow and misery and anxiety and anger. And then Solomon says this, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. In other words, he says, look, and it's like what, what, what Jerry said on the video earlier. It's, he, he's like, look, enjoy some food together. Enjoy, find joy that you have something to do in your labor. He says, everyone also to whom God has given and wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift from God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in heart. Do you hear what he's saying? There's so much sadness in our life and there's so much loss in our life. It's a part of a fallen world. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be, right? And there's so much grief and there's so much sadness and there's so much loss. That's a reality. But joy can be found in what you have and what God has given you and accepting, embracing his lot in your life and say, look, do you have something to eat? Is there some meaningful things that you have to do? 
Find great joy in those things. Be captivated by this in what God has given you in your life, in the simple things. So I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Do you know there's a conference you can go to? Guess what it's called? It's called the Boring Conference. <laughs> you go like, who signs up for that? We go to the website and the conference claims this. It's a one-day celebration of the mundane, the ordinary, the obvious, and the overlooked. There is great joy in accepting your lot and captivated by what God has given you. It's great contentment. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Have you accepted the Savior, the source of all the joy and forgiveness of sins? And will you accept your lot? Um, Bob Marley <laughs> made famous the song written by Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy. The song uh, is, well, the song suggests how you can find joy in the sadness. A lot of you know the song. Here's what he's saying. Here's a little song I wrote. I'm not going to sing it for you. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. In every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. So don't worry, just be happy. And then I like the second verse. He says, ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlord say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry, be happy. Woo, 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 woo. And they go to sing it along. That's his suggestion for finding joy in the happiness. I got to say, it sounds like his way to be happy has to do with what he be smoking. <laughs> joy in the sadness. I'd like to suggest another song that you embrace and think about this Christmas. It is joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Listen to these words. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee. Hail thee as the son of love. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. That phrase, my friends, has been going through my head this whole Christmas season, where there's this cloud of sadness that seems to be over. And that phrase keeps coming up. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness and drive the dark of doubt away. And that verse finishes this way. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. Behold, there is joy in the sadness. I hope you know it this Christmas. Please, if we would love to connect with you with these things. Uh, if you text Jesus 
to the number that's on the screen. Uh, we would love to talk to you about how to find joy in the sadness. Let's pray. Oh God, meet us this Christmas. Drive, melt the clouds of sin and sadness. And may we know you, the giver of immortal gladness, as we embrace you as our Savior and know the forgiveness of sin, the joy that you're my Savior, our portion, and our joy. And may we embrace our lot and find great contentment and joy in the simple blessings that you bring to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas.